I love my baby. I just need some sleep. I need a vacation. What am I doing wrong? I'm so tired. Am I doing this right? I just need 10 minutes of peace. I'm doing this for my child. This is New Age Mamas. Hey, it's your girl, Shay. It's your girl, Philly. Hi, it's Diamond. What's poppin', y'all? It's Jasmine, and this is New Age Mamas. Welcome back for another episode. Yes, we are super duper excited, and we have a jam-packed episode for you all. We have our first interview, and we have a dope, 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 dope mom on here. So let me just go ahead and introduce her. Um, so we have Bria Robinson, a visionary disciple to heal. Bria Robinson is a womanist therapist whose work is centered around helping black women, helpers and healers reconnect, rediscover and redefine their womanhood in order to become a better them, achieve better balance and harmonize their lives as a wife, mom of three helper and healer. Bria is no stranger to the conflicting roles of womanhood, where balance and harmony seem to be so hard to achieve and maintain. She teaches women how to prioritize their needs in order to show up fully for themselves and others. Welcome, Bria. Thank you. We are so excited. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. I'm excited, too. I, I love talking about just um anything related to womanhood motherhood wifehood so i'm all about the hood (laughs) (laughs) i feel you i feel you yes well let's jump did you have anything else to add um before we jump into the questions me oh absolutely not i'm I'm ready i'm I'm ready i'm sure you had a long day so i know you're like let's do this (laughs) yes (laughs) one mom doesn't have a long day right well, so I can start because, um, of course, moms having a long day is kind of where we're going to start at. Um, so I was going to ask if you had any advice that you can give to mothers who are kind of struggling to, you know, juggle multiple hats. Absolutely. So one thing that I tell my ladies all the time is in any given day, you should be your first and your final priority. And what that means is, like, you spend so much time pouring into others, you should always get your first and your last. And because if you don't, if that doesn't happen, then you're constantly pouring from, and it could be an empty cup, it could be a half-full cup, right? And one thing that's important about juggling multiple roles, and what I call it is, I call it multiple dominant roles, right? Because it's not just multiple roles. If you even think about like a job description, they give you a list of things to do and then other Mm -hmm. duties as a sign, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So in terms of when you have multiple dominant roles, for example, like I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a full-time entrepreneur, right? All things require my 100%. 
right? But how I give that 100% is based on what I give to myself first, because I can't pour out into all of these dominant roles that I have that all require my fullness if I don't pour into myself first. Yes. Wow. I love yes. That. I really want to touch on a point that you said. How you started off talking about you have to take care of yourself at the beginning and the end of your day. I feel like that's mm-hmm. so important, big, because as a mom, literally, you know, like you said, as soon as you wake up, your kid usually needs your attention right then mm-hmm. and there. It's just so easy to just hop into mommy mode. And it's like, now that you mentioned it, I don't take no time in the morning for myself. Like, as soon as I wake up, I'm trying to feed my son. Or I'm trying to get him ready for the day. Like, really? That is really, yes. Like, you even get, like, yourself 10 minutes to just, like, let me get my, let me go use the bathroom and <laughs> wash my face and brush my teeth by myself. Girl, I don't even brush my teeth until after <laughs> I gave him a bottle <laughs> or I just made him breakfast. Like, no, like, because we sleep in the same bed. So when he wake up, I wake up, like, he's stepping on my face and stuff. And then he's like, I need a diaper change. That's the first thing I do in the morning is I give him a diaper change. Yeah. Like, literally, he he, he just gets my attention as soon as I wake up. So that's really, I'm with you on that. Day. Like, it's like when you waking up in the morning, I wake up because of my son. Like, he mm-hmm. needs my attention. Like, I'm waking up because he hitting me in the head or stepping on me or shaking me to wake up like all right it's time to get up so it's like you want to instantly get them what they need first and then take care of yourself afterwards so see i get up early i get up early before him so i can put give myself that time yeah and it's really about like a mindset shift right like if we think about what it what it requires to give them like we have to know that we can't give them what we don't have, mm. right? And mm. so if we are always tired, it's because we're pouring from a cup versus our overflow. We're not getting anything first to give anything out. So it feels like we're constantly giving, right? And I think mm. it's interesting, right? Like my baby wakes up, she still wakes up in the middle of the night. I got three, but my youngest still wakes up in the middle of the night. And so I'll change her diaper, right? And I'll put her back down. Wow. How old is she? She's she's 13 months now. Oh, I can't do the waking up in the middle of the night no more. (laughs) (laughs) She still wakes up in the middle of the night, but it's really because we trained her differently than our other two, right? So she has this no knowledge of me staying in my own bed. It's like clockwork for her. She like, oh, it's it's two o'clock. Oh, time for me to get in mommy bed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, you know, so now we're going to talk about, I don't know, we talked about how you kind of juggle the multiple hats, but like, do you have a to-do list? And if you do have a to-do list, what techniques um, do you use to help to check off items off your to-do list? Absolutely. So what I have is a priority list. Mm. So in any given day, I have three main tasks that I need to get done. And this just goes for personal life businesses, Everett, okay? (laughs) (laughs) But for my personal life, I have three main tasks that I need to get done. And then I have a non-negotiable task, right? So I know I want to hit my high priorities. And I know I want to hit my non-negotiables. And I'll just give an example of for, like, if I'm cleaning the kitchen, my cleaning comes in pockets of time. So I know that I can't stay to a set schedule because I have kids. 
So it's just not going to happen if I say I'm going to do this at 6 o'clock and my daughter decides that she want to jump off the bed or something, you know, like, and then yeah. I'm going to clean something up and do all the things. So what I do is I set my priorities and then I know the pockets of time that that needs to get done. For example, if I have, you know, um, the kitchen requires me to clean, to wash the dishes or throw them in a dishwasher or unload it, wash off the countertop, wash the floors. I mean, sweep and mop the floors, right? So if my high price, my, my non-negotiable is always my kitchen. I don't care what happens <laughs> in my uh, day. Really? <laughs> That's quick. what I need to do. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, like, I don't even focus on the small stuff or whether the playroom is picked up. I know when I wake up in the morning, I like to wake up to not me having to do so much in the kitchen because that's where I start. Right. So I know mm. I want to focus on where I start so that when I wake up, I go to that kitchen, I'm like, ooh, girl, you did that. Like, <laughs> I, right? And it's all about mindset shifts. So like, I know that that will put me in a good mood to come to a clean kitchen where I can literally start breakfast. I don't have to wash the dishes first. I don't have to pull this out of there or whatever. Right. So mm-hmm. my non-negotiable is my kitchen. Now, can I clean a complete kitchen in like one pocket? Absolutely not. So I know there'll be times where my daughter's preoccupied with cocoa melon. Uh, <laughs> um, right. I know that there's a time between 12 and two where my older kids go to school and my baby maybe may or may not be down for a nap. Right. So those are what I call pockets of time. And in those pockets of time, I make sure that I'm either hitting my non-negotiable, which is either I'm unloading the dishwasher or I'm washing, you know, or I'm sweeping the floor that I sweep 20,000 times a day. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or I'm just doing things that cut down my, you know, high priorities and my non-negotiable. So by the end of the night, all I really have to do for the kitchen is sweep and mop and maybe clean the dishes that we did, you know, for dinner or something. Um, and in terms of my priority list, I do those in pockets of time. Now, if I have other things that I could get done that don't need, you know, pressing attention and I don't get to them, I just don't get to them. That's, that's, and that is what it is in the discussion. We going to bed. <laughs> So, so how I, long? Can, I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Go ahead, Shay. I was gonna say, um, because you just you brought up a great point because it sounded like you were putting a lot of emphasis on like being realistic about which goals or what things you want to get done throughout your day versus what's not really important. And mm-hmm. I thought that was a great. It was great to have that insight because like, you know, Philly was saying like, we'll, we'll definitely go right into, you know, our children. And I definitely have a problem with that as well. So it's nice to hear you say like, you know, creating those pockets of time and, and negotiating like, you know, what is important. And, And what I heard through that is that like, inclination of being realistic about what you can and cannot get done because I feel like our expectations of ourselves can be high at times and when we don't reach those marks we let ourselves down absolutely 
Yes, I definitely agree. Question, how long have you been doing the three main tasks in non-negotiable? Like, has it been a while and has it been consistent for you? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, every day, have you been really doing this? Ooh, hmm. Man, it's been so long. I feel like it's been drilled in my brain. Wow. <laughs> my priority task, I don't always get to my priority task. Um, because sometimes you just got to give yourself a little bit of grace. And that's why they're priorities, but it's not a non-negotiable. Right? <laughs> so you do get so to the kitchen every day. I get to, if my kitchen ain't clean, somebody then kidnapped me or something. I don't know. But <laughs> so then can you? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just like, can you give an example of what's a priority task versus a non-negotiable? Like the kitchen's non-negotiable, but what's a priority task that, you know, you need to get done, but maybe it doesn't get done. Oh, absolutely. So, like, for example, laundry. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Okay, laundry. I just gave up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, for real, girl. (laughs) And it's so it's technically five of y'all, so that's a lot of laundry. (laughs) A lot of laundry, especially because I work out every day, too. So that's double. But That's three, yeah. almost two outfits a day. <laughs> it is. Yeah. But I, I figured out a plan for that, and it's working for me so far. Um, But in terms of how I set my priority list, so yeah. typically in the beginning of the month, like, I'll do a rundown, like, um, I plan what needs to get done for the house, what I need to buy for the house, we do our budget, you know, um, everything that I force, could foresee in a month. I do a brain dump and I just write all that down. And then um, like I'll put dates on the calendar and everything. So in the morning when I wake up, I look, um, I have a paper planner because I do not like checking my phone first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I'll look to see what's in my planner first. And then from seeing what's in my planner, um, I'll kind of write down what needs to get done for for the day. I have a son with autism. So more than likely, a lot of what I have to do either is surrounded by calling somebody in terms of, you know, coordinating services, or it's in my business or um, or housework, right? So it's really those main things that um, would become a high priority. And high priorities are if this doesn't happen, like, something else can be highly affected by it so sometimes laundry is a high priority because it it messes with my mental health like I don't I can't do clutter so it's very hard for me to be in a good mood because if you know anything about like having a mood disorder or depression um when you don't have when things are not when things are kind of chaotic that's really it matches your mood um, a mood disorder is a mood disorder just specifically because of that, right? It impacts your mood. So you want to think about the things that improve your mood. And clutter is one of those things that have me in the dump. So sometimes my laundry has to get on my priority list because elsewhere, uh, otherwise it'll be all scattered over the floor and it really will put me in a down mood because I really can't function in clutter, mm. right? So I, how I make my priority list is always, if 
if this doesn't happen, could something else be impacted by it? And if it doesn't, then it ain't a priority. It's just something that I need to get done. Thank you for that definition. Like that bottom line definition of just about if this doesn't happen, it will affect something. I think that's a good way to like really just look at your to-do list or look at things that you have on your plate. Because sometimes some things are really small and they're not that big of a deal, but they just seem so big to us because, you know, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It probably seems... Yeah. I was going to say it probably seemed big to us because this these are things we were probably doing before we stepped into motherhood. And yeah. now that we can't get to it, or do it, it kind of, you know, affects us. Or sometimes we think like, hey, it'll, I started, you know, having a mindset. If it ain't get done, it's going to eventually get done at some point. But I'm like, Brie, the kitchen, I feel like if your kitchen and your bathroom clean, your house clean. Like, I don't care how, <laughs> it can be toys all over the living room. Okay. Toys all on the couch, whatever, like. Uh, the playroom messed up the bed's not made up but i feel like if the kitchen in your bathroom is clean your house clean i, I don't agree. know if it's because like the way i was raised we could not go to bed unless the kitchen was clean my brother oh. had to take the garbage out and me and my sister better had did them dishes wash them tables off like the kitchen had to be clean like it's been several times where we went to bed without cleaning the kitchen and we'll get waking up in the middle of the night, two or three o'clock in the morning to go wash the dishes, to go take mm-hmm. the garbage out. <laughs> like my parents did not play like when it came to the kitchen. And I'm like, and then I had fell into the habit once I got my own place. Like, nope, ain't nobody sleeping unless this kitchen getting clean, which is me, my son and my boyfriend. So it's mostly me cleaning the kitchen and he'll take out the garbage and stuff like that. But it's like I would not close my eyes or go to sleep unless I know the kitchen is clean. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wish I had that in me. <laughs> <laughs> it can, yeah, it but- can happen. Like, it can eventually get in you. Like, just turn it into a ha- If you really want something done, just turn it into a habit. Yeah, I don't know absolutely. the saying on how many days it takes to break a habit and to join, to get into a habit, but however many days, like, it can, it can become a habit. Absolutely. And that that thing that you mentioned about it being ingrained in you is that a lot of things do carry with us. And you made an excellent point about, you know, um, when these are things that we were doing prior to motherhood. And so oftentimes when we find ourselves in a cycle of beating ourselves up because we can't get to something or do something that we used to do is really because we really haven't stepped into the new becoming of who we now are right there are things Mm -hmm. that we haven't even grieved about our singleness right and I actually um I had to realize that back when I started healing because I was just like, I don't know why I keep getting into these funks, but it's because I didn't grieve the life that I used to have, right? And I think that's important that we, like, it's okay to grieve the woman we used to be because we liked her, right? <laughs> huh? Girl, you are really hitting her on the head, yes. Yes. My, so my therapist taught me that. Yeah. And what happens is we like start to try to chase her and it's just like, sis, you ain't never getting her back. <laughs> and, then, 
she is gone, but you can extract parts of her that brought you joy. Wow. Mm-hmm. I really wish more moms would tell women who are becoming mothers or pregnant women, like, grieve what you, you say, grieve, you know, while you can, before the baby gets here, grieve as much as you can in your previous life. That's going to help you open up to the next level. Like, my therapist has to teach me that because my pregnancy was so intense. And now she was like, you got to let go of that past life and that past mindset. And I also think people only think grieving has to deal with death or like the loss of somebody, you know, that's gone away. But grieving, you can grieve a relationship or you can grieve the old you, you can grieve a job, like you can grieve anything. I agree. That's a great point. Absolutely. So I wanted to ask, um, because you kind of mentioned like you were healing, but were you healing from like, postpartum depression would you say or just like just long-term like just life trauma oh child I was healing from everything you could throw the book at me okay <laughs> wow <laughs> no I'm in all honesty like um like I grew up in an environment that like my mother is a preacher um she really like like she really did a amazing job at developing us as women as who we are and coming into ourselves and just you know being very aligned with the word of God and then when I went off to college I went off to college in a whole nother state um I went to HBCU so woo (laughs) right Mm -hmm. like And so I stepped into this realm of, you know, womanhood as an 18-year-old young girl, right, who who saw the world, but like I I went, you know, I was raised on the north side of Chicago, but once I got to high school, you know, I was fighting another fight. We had moved out to the suburbs, and then it had became just about racism and trying to combat racism, right? So you go from, you know, a very diverse neighborhood to being the only Black person up in the burbs. And, you know, that's how I found my voice as to who I am. But then when I went to college, right, I was fighting a good fight (laughs) with racism that I really wasn't taking note of who I was like as just me like not being you know active in this club and that club and this that and the third so once I got to college I'm just like who am I right like who am I as a person and it and I didn't really discover myself until I became married with a kid right because I didn't know I didn't even know I didn't know who I was like that that is what I discovered on my healing journey was I was, you know, class president. I joined a sorority. I, you know, um, was, you know, I had great friends from college, still connect, still stay connected with my friends from grammar school. Like, I thought I was, you know, I thought I was a yeah, thousand stuff, right? Like, <laughs> I'm highly educated, all of these things, and I still found myself like, girl, who the heck, who are you, right? And it was because, I I say this all the time, that I became a, I became a mother right after I became a wife. I became a wife right after I became a woman. 
like all at the same time. And so, so many new identities at one time really woke me up to the fact that I didn't even have an identity of self first. Mm. So I'm trying to be a mom. I'm trying to be a wife. I'm trying, I, I was, you know, real prime in my career. So like it, one thing about me is <laughs> I'm going to get some money. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like always like just, just front and center with every single thing. And I, and, and I couldn't stop to just feel the fact that I was trying to supplement for what I didn't have was a, which was a strong identity because I did not know who I was besides the fact that I had a college degree. I'm now a wife. I'm now a mom, right? All of these titles that had everything to do with serving other people or doing things for other people. And then when I really sat back and realized, like, Everything, if someone asked me who I was, the first thing I would say is, you know, well, I'm a social worker. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. And so now the work that I do with women helps them to discover who they are first, because you can't possibly fulfill a role for somebody else if you aren't secure in who you are as a, as a woman first. Right. Because so what does that look yeah. like starting to find who you are like how did you start off with that or how do you help women like what's where do you start Ooh, that's well I'll I'll share a little bit about kind of like the work that I do with women but where I started was because my marriage was it was over like wow. <laughs> me and my husband it was like literally right after we had our son um I got married I graduated undergrad in 2015 I graduated grad school in 2016. I got married in 2016. We had our son in 2017. So that okay, is so why everything was back to back. Everything was back to back to back to back to back. Right. And so um, it was the year that we had our son that I was literally like, as soon as I had my son, um, I think I had like three months maternity leave. And I was like, oh, this is a perfect time to get my business off the ground. Mm, oh, you would have told me, sit, sit your down. <laughs> I wish somebody would have told me that because then I put my blinders on. I'm like, ooh, I could get, I could do this. And I just started to dibble and dabble in so many things, right? I took my son literally everywhere with me, just doing random stuff, like <laughs> things that like... <laughs> When I think about it, I'm like, girl, I wish somebody would tell me sit down. <laughs> um, and then, like, that next year, my son was about eight or six months. And, you know, like, me and my husband, we just really weren't seeing eye to eye. Like, and we literally were like, is this even going to work? And so mm. some things had happened. And I, was, I literally booked the flight to Chicago. And I was like, dude, I don't know if I'm coming back. We were wow. living in Cali at the time. And um and so I, I stayed home with my mom for, you know, a couple of months and I was just like, you know, I I told God, I said, Look, I 
absolutely love my husband. I love this family that we have, but I I don't want this marriage to work for the sake of it working. I want it to work because it was designed to work. Like, I don't care what the outcome is. Like, I want us to repair this family, even if that means that we won't be together. Like, that's how much I like. And I was just like, and it starts with us healing individually. So my husband went to therapy. I went to therapy. And what happens is when you're in a marriage, and that's why I tell my ladies, appreciate your single season. Mm. <laughs> second time, this is the second time I heard that in the past two weeks. Okay, because when you are in a partnership, you have to, you either have to work on yourself and forget about the marriage or work on the marriage for the sake of the marriage and neglect yourself. And so we decided we're not touching this marriage right now. Like, let's just be the best cohabitators we need to work on ourselves first. Mm. And so once we did that and became better, not for the relationship, but better for ourselves, we ended up being better for the marriage and the relationship. I love that. And I love the discussion and the transparency that y'all had about that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, girl, it was a lot of other stuff between that, but we're not going to talk about that on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But I still love like, that you guys were able to make it work because I feel like so many people like you know you hear people break up after they have their first child so often and Mm -hmm. even with you guys taking that break you were able to come back to each other that I love to hear that absolutely I'm glad that it ended that way (laughs) yes (laughs) but it's but I think you know for me personally um, there is hard times. I'm not married, but even still, I'm I'm with my partner, and there are times where you do get that mindset of, do I want this to work for the sake of it working, or do I want it to work for the sake of it actually working because it's supposed to work? You don't want to yeah. feel like you're just trapped with someone because you have a child with them, and I feel like so many people like feel that way sometimes where, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm going to leave because this is not what's right for us. It's not what's right for the child. You know, of course we want to think about the child above all, but it's great to have that perspective that, you know, it doesn't always have, something doesn't have to always have to be the end. Two people can work on themselves individually and still come back together. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the key is that not having intentions for it to work or not work, right? Because I think what a lot of people fail to realize is that a family can still be whole and be apart. Like that was our goal. Our goal was to really make our family work. And if our family worked apart, then that's just what it was. That doesn't mean our family was broken, right? We were just working apart, meaning mommy may have a new somebody, daddy may have a new somebody, right? But that relationship will still be strong and solid. And that was the goal. And it just so happened that God designed it where we were together with that being the, you know, being the goal, being the end goal. 
Yes, because nothing is worse than two people who hate being in the same room together. Ah, (laughs) Even after the breakup. (laughs) Yeah, so I I think that's beautiful. It it has to work. The family has to work regardless of if the parents are together. And I love to hear that because I feel like so many people believe because we're not together, the family doesn't work or it's just not working. But that doesn't have to be the case. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with that being said, do you and your husband have like different parent techniques? Like what are you guys disagreement when it comes to parenting? If you have any, or how do you manage that? That's a good question, Diamond. That is a great question. We actually have, I don't think we've ever had any disagreement in terms of parenting. I think because we both became new parents at the same time, right? Like, we just trying to figure out what works and we know what we feel could have been different in our lives. And so we kind of just, we, we really parent with this idea that our children deserve respect just as we do, right? Like understanding that discipline um, doesn't have to look um just one way right discipline can be gentle discipline can be you know um can be loving right oftentimes when we think about our own narratives we can see discipline as super hypercritical right versus understanding that compassion belongs in discipline as well because if if you are an adult and you can't follow simple directions. (laughs) What makes you think a child is going to follow simple directions, right? Like, and I just think about just the narrative of something that I tell my daughter all the time is, you know, like, oh, I feel you, sis. Like, I get you upset because you can't have what you want because mommy get upset when she can't have what she wants, right? But it's a matter of how we express that. Right. Like if my husband, if I wanted, you know, something and my husband told me, oh, we can't, we can't get that right now, babe. I would, I would not throw a fit. Right. But I would be upset about it. But right now my daughter just knows how to throw fit. She doesn't know how to process emotions. She doesn't know how to, you know, kindly bow out. <laughs> right. And so I always take that approach when I'm dealing with my daughter. Cause I, my sister called, she called my kids. Um, she used to call him a three-piece spicy. <laughs> but my son is very like my son is very gentle and sweet and can, and all of my kids are very sweet. But my son, he just has this, you know, this this gentleness about him. But my daughter, so she now calls him a one-piece mouth and two-piece spicy. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> yes. So I just always have to think about me when I approach my daughters with well my youngest baby she don't we ain't even on the discussion of discipline right now but (laughs) when I think about my daughter who she's three I always say if I didn't have right and not and I'm not talking about a popsicle I ain't talking about a lollipop right but if my husband told me I couldn't have uh, you know, I couldn't go on this trip that I really wanted to go to because you, we may not have the funds for it. How would I feel? Right? Mm. Like, mm, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that wouldn't go over so well. I would tell him, well, we're going to find the money so that I could go on this trip. <laughs> 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 and so I think about discipline with my daughter the same way. I'd be like, yes, this is feeling it right now because she really wants this popsicle, but she's just not having it. And I'm going to let her do her thing. I'm going to let her do her. So by you um, saying that and speaking about that, so how do you actually practice gentle parenting or what are your discipline styles for your children? Child, (laughs) I wish there was a book, okay? Because um, with my daughter, I use a lot of redirection, right? So she will scream at the drop of the hat, like from like not even eight, like not even zero to a hundred she goes to like a million and there's no like millisecond between zero and a million like (laughs) so with my daughter um I just allow her to kind of like feel her emotions they be real intense and then I'll try to redirect her with for example like oh yeah yeah oh, did you forget about, what about this book? Or I'll be like, yeah, yeah, finger, yeah, yeah, finger, where are you? And then immediately so she'll be cute. like, here I am, here I am. <laughs> right? How so do kids, you do? Right, exactly. <laughs> so kids, they thrive like with like releasing that shame because what we don't realize is that with children, they internalize every single thing. So If you ever think about even some of the behaviors that we have as adults that are really childlike, it's because we assume things to be our fault, right? And so even when they're acting out, they feel like what has happened to them is now their fault. So they get so overwhelmed with emotion. And with my daughter, she, she, she gets so filled with emotions that I just have to calm her down and let her know like I understand you're upset she may not understand everything that I'm saying to the complexity that I'm saying it but I like to be gentle and talk her through it and also redirect her with you know maybe something else that she likes or something you know and then when she's calmed down we talk about what just happened. <laughs> so when she's, we don't talk about, we, I, I never, I rarely say calm down or, you know, um, chill out or I used to, but I realized that that's counterproductive because if somebody would say that to me, if I'm in a crisis or if I'm heightened in my emotions, I would probably cuss them out. That's right. so what so, do you say instead? Because I'd have that bad. I'm like, let's calm down, let's breathe. So what should I be saying instead? I really just redirect her. Like I may take a step back and let her do her thing. Now this works different in public. Don't try to <laughs> just try to do just try to get to the car here in public. Just hurry up and get to the car. <laughs> but when she's at home, like I'll either, you know, like take a step back let her do her thing for a second I may redirect her I'll like you know like I said I'll sing a song or I'll do anything to get her calm Mm, first without like trying to like without verbalizing like I need you to be calm because she don't care she don't she don't care you wouldn't care if somebody tells you to be calm so try to give her something that will engage her 
and naturally calm herself or help her to calm herself. And then once she's calm, don't forget about it. Like it happened, right? So then you address the behavior like this is, you know, what was happening with you. She may not, or I think you have a son, right? He may not respond in a way that makes logical sense to you, right? But you're then reinforcing their positive behavior, right? You did a great job calming down. Like that was so good. Like you calmed down all by yourself or you calm down right when, you know, or whatever, right? Reaffirming that they just regulated themselves. And then, you know, talk about, what happens when we don't get what we want we know we know that it hurts when you can't get what you want but you can't always get what you want right (laughs) yeah I hope that makes sense no it does thank you because I'm like sometimes I'm like I just don't know what to do because I know saying calm down doesn't work (laughs) you know and it really like what helps me the most is I put myself in the situation right yes they are kids but you have to think about the emotional capacity that they have. You have, and, and when I think about the emotional capacity that I have sometimes, I feel like, dang, like, I can't even handle certain things sometimes. Mm. So why do I put that on my kids? Like, if your boyfriend mm. just cheated on you, what you gonna do? <laughs> what you gonna do? <laughs> So I think about like in the most craziest situations, if something was to happen to me, like how would I respond or react? Right. Then I, I'd be like, okay, that's how she <laughs> Oh, I'm going to let her have that right now. So, you know, I'm in, and I relate to that because my daughter, like just at the age where she is at right now, she's still, you know, nonverbal. And so with her not being able to always communicate, like that communication, she just gets really like worked up. And so for me, what I, what we, we kind of started doing it early and it's been helping. We will count with her. We'll count to 10 and we'll let her count our fingers. And that'll kind of like regulate her back to like, okay, let me calm down. They distracted me. Let me do this, you know, kind of direct her somewhere else. Yep, it all goes back to the distraction. Like, if you can get them to focus on something else, like, they're going to calm down. And then you're better able to handle or, you know, discipline, right? Like, you can't discipline a child while they in the act. It just ain't going to work. But what you can do is reinforce their positive behavior and be able to show them what you know, it looks like to do it in a way that, you know, is, is appropriate for the folks. (laughs) Yes. I love that. Yeah. And then did you say, um, Bria, that one of your, your, no, your only son, he's nonverbal as well. Mm -hmm, Yep. So he's four. Um, he'll be five in August. Um, and he's currently nonverbal. So, um, that does happen with him, right? He gets frustrated. He gets upset. Um, but he does a, my he's smart. Okay. He knows what's going on. He knows what's up. Like more than what we know is what's up. So I, I really don't have like, we have a internal communication and I was, it's interesting. I was just talking about this to my mom because I'm like, you know, 
it's at a point where he refuses to communicate any other way. Like, he's like, I know my mama know what I want. I know my daddy know what I want. And that's all that matters. But it's not all that matters, son, son. Like, these people out in the world need to know what you want. And they need to know, like, you know, in a way that you can communicate it. So that's a whole nother story in itself. But, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes definitely a lot of super mom vibes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I guess um, one question that I also have, last question um, that I can think of is right now with everything going on in the world, like COVID, the Buffalo massacre, Roe versus Wade, everything like that. Do you have any advice for for people, black people specifically, trying to cope? Like as a therapist, is there anything that we can do to just deal with the world right now and how everything is going? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And honestly, the world is always like, if we think about just what we've lived through in terms of systemic racism and just, I mean, being women, being Black women, right, there's this um, system that exists that, uh causes us to be what one would say like the bottom of the totem pole right like we have sexism that impacts us and we have racism that impacts us that intersectionality like (laughs) does a lot for what we see what we consume um and it just it just adds on to the stressors that we face in any given day and now we have you know the media that tells us we need to do this or be this or you know um just so so much that oppresses black women that my number one thing that I always go back to is we need to take care of ourselves Hmm. and it may sound like such a cliche But because there are literally systems that are targeted to make sure that we stay where we are and that there are people who influence these systems, and it's even greater because you have the media, right, that reinforces these messages that if we're not careful And if we're not making sure that, one, we remain our own priority, and two, that we're conscious of what we're consuming, we're going to kill ourselves before anybody else can. Like, and and, and it takes us being able to step into and saying, like, I'm going to take care of my well-being because then I can fight the good fight, right? I can, Mm. you know, be able to um support you know um support social injustices because I can't go out and do anything if I'm not well first and so I think that a lot that has been racially motivated within these past I don't know about y'all but I'm 28 and in my 28 years like I don't think I don't think there has been a year that something has not happened that was racially motivated. Of course not. And, yeah. And it's just like we can't we can't go out and and, and and fight the good fight 
if we're not taking care of ourselves first, because we wouldn't know, right? Like, like we wouldn't know how to really um, kind of conceptualize those issues or even know what to do with those things, because if we're not mentally well, how can we take on all of this stuff that is added to oppress and suppress us, right? Like we get tired. And if we already tired and and the things just keep compounding onto us, we gonna kill ourselves before anything else could have a chance to. So yeah, that was really good advice because I feel like every time now I'm so desensitized or so like tired every time I just see something about somebody being shot or a black person being shot I don't even like read up on it because I know it's one that's going to be viral for whatever you know what I'm saying like I, it takes a lot for me to really want to read into those things now or find more information right and I also want to add though like um we get tired of seeing all of these things but we still have a responsibility like, and that's what, it's, it's like a double-edged sword because that's really sucky, right? The fact that we have to fight this thing because if not us, then who, right? Like, exactly. Ain't nobody else going to do it. And I find myself in that situation all the time. And that's primarily why I went into doing this work with women is because my fight was not out in the protest. My, I, I couldn't do it. Like it, it expended so much of my energy. But what I could do is equip my women to go out there and do it. Right? We have mm-hmm. to know what we're called to do to advance these, 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 um, these movements that are supposed to, you know, help to fight the good fight. Right? We have to know what role and what place that we have. And every single person supports the part, right? So no, my part wasn't to be out on the front lines, right? My part in contributing to the breakdown of the systemic oppression is to make sure that I'm I'm mentally well and I'm making others mentally well so that they have the capacity to, you know, to absorb the information and not internalize it, right? And the difference in that is, when we internalize things, what we what we don't realize we're doing is we're inserting those messages as belief to be true about a situation or circumstance. That's why so much in, in terms of violence where Black people are concerned is pushed out and pushed out and pushed out to the media. Why? Because they want us to internalize this stuff, right? They want us to right? Make these messages. And the best way that I can explain it is if you were a kid, right? And I'll just use this example of myself. When I was a kid, I was always a fat kid. And so my mother, though, always made sure she affirmed all of her children, right? Affirmed us, affirmed our beauty, made sure that we like felt like the most special kids in the world, right? But if everybody Mm -hmm. else was telling me, right? That no, because you're fat, you're ugly, or you're this, or you're that. No matter how much my mother affirmed me, if the majority of people were against what I looked like, that internalized that message that what I am 
it's others, right? And no matter how bad I tried to believe in what my mother told me, because the messages around me told otherwise, then that then internalized the belief about myself, right? The media works the same way. And, and it doesn't just, you know, go for beauty standards and beauty. It goes for everything, any message that someone has told you, you either, either things have reaffirmed those messages and that belief then became a truth for you, or you were able to see that message as false when it came to you. And no matter, and, and, and you had such a strong belief system that no matter what anybody else said about this thing, right, you knew that that belief was not reaffirmed because you didn't believe it to be true, right? Wow. And so in terms of racism, when we internal when we see so much that reaffirms what what is out there, we're gonna believe it to be true, even if we don't want it to be. Right? right. That's how mm-hmm. internalization works, is that it doesn't have to be true for us to believe it, to be honest. Mm. So I guess a way for us to better kind of deal with that. I hear you're saying like, you know, it's trying not to internalize it and take yeah. things, you know, to heart so much as to be able to have discernment of what is, you know, what society's placing on you versus what is the truth. And yeah. um, you, you made a great point about us being responsible because all of us are mothers and we're raising the next generation. And mm-hmm. so all of these things that, you know, content could potentially be internalized in us would then be internalized in our children. Absolutely. And then the cycle just repeats itself, right? So we have to make sure that what we're giving them is what is the best of us, right? Because even the things that we don't, it's the things that we don't say, but that they observe that will be, that will stick with them, right? They're, that's what they're going to remember. They're going to remember how you approach situations. They're mm-hmm. going to model your behavior, not necessarily what you say, but what you do, right? So we have to be conscious about the messages, both verbal and nonverbal, that we're giving to our children. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's a really good point. Oh my God. Well, Bria, thank you so much for coming on to our show. Um, this yeah. is gonna be the point of this show where you can let our listeners know about your business, you know, pub anything that you wanna um let our listeners know about you, your IG, your Facebook, whatever um you have. Absolutely. So I am a licensed therapist and I practice out of North Carolina. So my business is called Womanist Wellness, and it is a premier wellness community for Black women to rediscover, redefine um, their womanhood. And so I have, my practice is based in North Carolina, but I also have like um, workshops and um, actually on Tuesdays, I have what's called Circle Chat, and right now we're talking about healing core wounds um, or soul wounds. So 
Um, we're getting really deep into what soul wounds are, how we're attached to soul wounds. So if you are interested, you can definitely go on our website, womanhoodwell.com, and sign up for our email list. Right now it's just for our email list um, as well as our clients um, that workshop series. So um, that's all that we have for now, but we are growing and expanding. So check us out on IG2, Womanist Wellness. And yeah, we got some cool things, some cool things brewing. Oh, thank you so much, Bria, for joining our episode. We really appreciate it. And thanks for being our first guest too, as well. Yeah. Thank you all for having me. I've enjoyed this conversation. We enjoyed you. We thank enjoyed you. you. It was really good. Yeah. Thank you yes. so much. Thank you, y'all. And I just know that if this is something that God ordained you to do, like go full force, like 10 toes, like don't stop this. Do create, put out everything. Like, this is amazing. I love everything that you guys are talking about in terms of motherhood. So, just step into what you know yourself to be the expert is, and that is you are a mom and you have so much to offer, not just your kids, but moms worldwide. Girl, speak that over us. Thank For you. Real. We so really appreciate that. Thank you absolutely i love black women so i love y'all <laughs> we love you, we too. Love you too. too you gotta come back on the show girl we gotta- yes. yes we can do a part two with bria because we had some more questions that we didn't get to so we can get to them later and we can definitely do a part two mm-hmm. and, and deep dive into even more yeah because there's so much yeah. so many layers to deep dive into even just with your yeah. business period I was just say for you to be 28, you to live like 10 lives, girl. Girl, say that again. Say that again. Okay. And you to live some lives. Girl, I done live, I done live several lives. I'm, I'm surprised that this life's still hanging on. No, <laughs> okay, so thank you so much again, Bria. So as we wrap up, you guys, don't forget to like, follow, subscribe, comment, share the whole nine yards to our podcast. Also follow us on new age, follow us at new age mamas on Instagram and on Twitter. And don't forget to participate in our daily questions that we have on our stories. Um, Don't forget, we have another giveaway coming up soon. So be on the lookout for that, for our giveaway. And also don't forget to tell a friend. Once you tell a friend, then that friend will tell another friend. So thank you so much, Bria, again for coming. And thank you, ladies, all as well. So that's a wrap. And see you guys on the next episode.